If you would turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we've been in this book for some time now. We've looked at the doctrinal portion of this book. And we are now uh, turning our attention to the practical section of this book. And I want us to, uh, to begin reading Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. But before I read, let me just open with a word of prayer. Father, you are so kind in allowing us to be together today. You're so kind in allowing us to have the word translated into a language that we can understand. It's something that we take for granted. Um, What a privilege it is to have the word of God, of the living and true God, written in our language. I pray that your word would be exalted today. Um, And thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in it. May we learn from it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll begin reading it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. Actually, let me go back and pick up 11. We went through 11 last week, but I just want to pick that up to point out the context. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work and service of the building up this body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves of Waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful schemings. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, according to the growth or causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now there's uh, the general purpose of the church Christ gave to us before he ascended on high, and that was to go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching. But that's a general and broad command for us. And so the question has to be asked is, how is that worked out? What do we do? And how does that fit with the church, this church that Christ is raising up? There's In this passage, Paul gives us some of the clearest teaching about the church compared to the rest of Scripture. This is very clear teaching on the church. And in the, in the, as I mentioned in my prayer, we are, or, or before, we are in the, the practical section of this book of Ephesians. And Paul is beginning to apply our understanding of the power of God and His work within His people. And the key word in this section is the word walk. And two weeks ago we looked at the, the unified walk. The very fact that we're unified as we, we go along and live our daily life. And then we looked at the, the ver, diverse walk. That we, we walk together, but yet we have differing gifts. And that raises 
then the subject that Paul wants to get into, how important those gifts are in the functioning of the church. And when he's teaching these things, he then gives us a clearer, more accurate information on how the church is to function and to operate. So we have some very, very clear teaching on the church. Christ is at work in his church and has communicated clearly to his church and how his church is to operate. Therefore, we as believers then, we as believers are to, we're bound to um, do God's work, God's way. So often we, we just think, well, we have a responsibility to disciple and we can do that any way we want to. But God has a way that his church is to be run and his church is to operate. The point then that we'll see in this passage is that Christ has designed his church to grow through teaching of the word and the exercise of individual spiritual gifts. It's a mutual thing coming together, and that's what we see in this passage. Paul gives us very clear teaching on the the function of the church, the goal of the church, the product of the church, and the growth of the church. And that's what we'll see. In fact, that's the structure. That's the structure that I want you to see. Verse 12, we see the function of the church. We see the goal of the church in verse 13. The product of the church, what the church is producing, 14 and 15. And then the growth of the church. Now let's look at the very first one in verse 12. For the equipping of the saints. Now let's stop right there. Let me remind you that Paul has given us a list. There were four things in in, uh, verse 11. That these gifts, these gifted men that... God has given the church. They were apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers. And those were given to the church to, to function within the church for a specific reason. And, and the, the function of the church starts right there. Those gifted men. Now the term equipped. In verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. So Paul, so God gives these gifted men to the church for a reason. And that begins to start the process. And the process is starting by equipping, for the equipping of the saints. And to equip means to, to make complete or to restore to an original, an original setting, we may say today, or original condition. Now, as a medical term, it was used when um, bones needed to be set. If they were broken, they would have to stretch those bones or set those bones in just the right way, just to restore them, just the way they were. So there's a restoration. It implies order. It implies making right, putting things back the way they should be. And the pastor and the evangelist, pastor, teacher, and evangelist, the evangelist, of course, preaches out the gospel as people respond they come into the church and the pastor leads those people and he grows them spiritually that's the model that Paul is is presenting here now we as sinners we are broken we need to be restored don't we sometimes we fail to see that 
We don't think right sometimes. We are bent towards sin. We don't have the right perspective on things. Uh, and those things need to be restored. Our thinking needs to be renewed. Habits need to be straightened out. Old habits, bad habits. And there's values and priorities that need to be restored. There's attitudes that need to be corrected. There's patterns of thought that need to be reset. And we must move from sin, which is following our own direction, to obedience, which is going God's direction. So that's the restoration process. The restoration doesn't come through administration, leadership, organization, management, planning, or any kind of entertainment. doesn't happen. Those things are necessary within the church, maybe, but, boy, that restoration process, it doesn't come from there. How does it come? How does the restoration process happen then? Well, if we look over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, <clears throat> Paul reminds us, reminded Timothy of this very thing, how important the Word of God is. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 it says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. There's our term, the term equipped, restored from that sinful condition to an obedient condition. And it takes the word of God. And that word of God is important. It's, it's, it's essential for the function of the church. Another passage that I want to remind you of, Acts chapter 6, shows you the, the priority that uh, the Word has. And you know the circumstances there where, where the, the apostles were being led away, being, being pulled away in, in, the, in the serving of the tables. Well, serving the tables was a good thing. But look at the priority that they had to set even at the early stage of the church. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Serving the tables is good, but our focus has to be the word because that's where the restoration process begins, the word of God. And the pastor, the shepherd, even the evangelist, that's where they have to, to dwell. And notice, they mentioned prayer, and that would be the second element. Of that Colossians chapter 4, Paul gives us a, a good picture of this, how important prayer is in the restoration process. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. <clears throat> Epaphras, who is one of, your member, one of your number, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, spent, uh, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. He was, he was an elder among that church, and, and he, he spent time in prayer for them. Prayer is essential for the restoration of the church. But there's another element. James chapter 1, James reminds us that, that the testing, testing has a place in that restoration process. Verse 2, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you... When you, count, uh, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let that endurance have its perfect result so that you will 
that you may be be perfect, restored, complete, lacking nothing. Now the first two, the pastor is responsible for the prayer and the preaching of the word. But boy, this this testing comes from from God. So God is involved in this process as well. That God's part is to to bring trials. We don't like that. But you know what? Trials they they're, they're like working out. They they cause us to flex those muscles and strengthen those muscles. So trials are important, and then that should bring an attitude of rejoicing within our own heart that God is working within us. He's stretching us. He's making us grow. He's providing that endurance that those muscles need, those spiritual muscles needed. Also, another part of this restoration process is, is just plain suffering. You're in James. Turn over a couple passages there. First, first Peter chapter 5, verse 10, an important verse here. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, so there's suffering, this God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory, or <clears throat> to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect. So Christ is, through this suffering, will perfect you. He is working within you, perfecting. So the two come together, the pastor teacher, preaching the Word of God, praying, and then God working within that congregation to restore. The process begins. Now, look at the second step of this process. Back to Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 12, it says, for the equipping of the saints. Now, there's a... There's a problem with an old translation. The King James Version translated, and, and they put a comma in the wrong place. They put a comma between saints and four. And that causes the, the whole passage to be changed, to shift a little bit. And it would be, it would be like this. For the equipping of the saints. So that's one thing that the pastor would do. And then he would, for the work of service, that's another thing that the pastor would do. And another thing, the comma would be there, of the building up of the body of Christ. So, so the pastor would be responsible for all of it. And that's the way our church has functioned for many years, not catching that. But most of the modern translations, and even the new King James, that's caught that. And said, so there's, there's no comma there. There shouldn't be a comma there in the original And it really should read, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service. It's the the responsibility of the pastor teacher and the evangelist to equip the saints. The saints then do the work of the ministry, the work of service. It's not placed upon the professional to do everything. Unfortunately, many of our churches have that problem. Pastor does everything. But here in Paul's model here, and Paul gets this from Christ himself, from the inspired Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit inspired him, it is the, the pastor that equips and the saints then work together for the, for the building up of the body. Now, how does this play out? Well, Paul, Paul kind of expounds on that. But again, the process is beginning. The, the saints are being equipped. They're then beginning to, to function. They're then beginning to 
work within the body, within themselves, to build one another up and serve one another. Key terms. So these gifted men don't, don't have the responsibility of doing all the work. We don't just put that off to the professionals, but it's within the church. Now that's going to change your, your idea of the church today. We don't have that. Culture Christianity doesn't say that. They, they say we leave it up to the professionals. We send them off, we train them, and they come back and they do the work. And that's not, that's not at all the picture that Paul is painting here. It's through the equipping of the saints that, that the saints then uh, turn around and, and, um, and do the work of service within the church. And then the church is built up. Notice what that produces, though. That produces more elders, more teaching pastors, more evangelists, more deacons, more workers within the church. And then step three, if you notice, in, chapter, in verse 12, for the building up of the body of Christ. Building up of the body of Christ. That's kind of the, that's what happens. When these first two things are, are in place and are functioning, then the body is built up. It says building up. Building up refers to uh, constructing a house. Constructing a house, there are certain things you put into place and the house is built up and, and, and constructed and functioning the way it should function. Paul is talking about spiritual edification here and, and the development of the church. Notice that the evangelist is, is um, uh, for externally building up the church or builds up the church externally, but the, the pastor teacher... And that's through evangelism, by the way. The pastor teacher does it internally, and it's through the, the nurturing and the fruitful service through the Word of God. And it's through the people. Now, Paul spent the rest of his time pointing these things out. The picture here, then, is that the church is not just an organization. Sometimes we, we have that misconception. We've got this hierarchy. Well, there's the pastor, maybe an assistant pastor, and then there's the and there's the youth pastor, and then it and it just kind of trickles down. And there's this hierarchy and this organization. And that's the way things happen. There's the command. There's administration. There's management. There's planning. And what we do is we sit around and plan on how to get more people into the church. That is not what Paul is portraying here. Not at all. Not at all. In fact, if we go back to that Acts passage, it says that the apostles focused on the prayer and the ministry of the word. And it says that God added to the church. So, just by way of application, does that challenge your understanding of the church? That should challenge us to understand how important each person is to the body of Christ. Daniel's Bible Church doesn't have... Two, two or three ministers, but we have 200 ministers according to the model that Paul presents for us today. And the question, <clears throat> are you fitting into that church model? Or are you the one uh, that needs to be 
you know, I need to have all of the attention as opposed to me ministering to other people. So the function of the church is that the pastor teacher equips the saints. The saints do the work of the ministry. The ministry then is built up through mutual ministry, through working together. And that becomes even more clear in verse 13 when we look at the goal. What is the goal of the church? What is the church trying to to do? What are we to do? How do we know if we reach this goal? Well, verse 13 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, that might not be the goal that you had in mind. Wait a second. I thought the goal was to fill this place, to have more and more people. Well, that's a nice thing. But the biblical model here, the goal of what Paul is uh, wanting to accomplish in the book, in the uh, the church at Ephesus, is unity. Unity. Well, the Holy Spirit established unity, didn't he? He already established they have that. This is not talking about just unity when we get to heaven either. This is a very practical unity. And it comes through the equipping of the saints. This is a unity that is for the here and now. Within the church. It's an all-encompassing. He says, uh, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And the emphasis is on the, the, the fact that, that no one is left out. And it takes, again, all the church working together to, to do this. Now, this isn't some contrived unity. Notice, it says, the unity of the faith. Now, the faith there... It might be a little strange. We might not say it that way today. But the unity of the faith is not talking about the believer's faith at salvation or faith in obedience. But he's talking about this, this faith that refers to the body of Christian truth. This body of doctrine that was being formulated at the time of Christ. It was the faith once removed that, Paul, that uh, Jude mentions in Jude 3. One commentary said it's the, the theological content of Christianity. It's when Christ said, teach them all that I've commanded you. It's that what we teach, and it can be summed up in one word, and that's the gospel. And really, if you spread that, it's just the whole counsel of God. It's this word. So we are unified through the word. That's the goal of the church. We, we, we come together, we're built up, and it's through the Word of God that, that we find this, this unity. That's what it says. Unify our unity until we all, uh, until we all attain to the unity of the uh, faith. The unity of the faith. Paul is talking about practical oneness right here in the church. Um, that just doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. We have too many ideas about the church. Even within the church, we have too many ideas floating around that's not biblical. How do we do that? We have to come together around the Word of God. The Word of God is the essence of unity. It comes from a single source. It comes from a God who does not lie. 
It comes from a God who does not contradict himself. Therefore, when we gather around it, when we agree to it, there's a, there's a unity, a, there's a level of unity. People begin to, to think alike. We have the same mindset. We have the same understanding, same worldview. We understand one another. We're on the same page. We speak the same language, if you will. And there's another element to that, the, the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So there's, there's two parts to that. The unity of the faith, that's that comprehensive body of material doctrine, but it's also the knowledge of the Son of God. The knowledge of the Son of God. This is a knowledge of relationship with Christ. It's, it's a knowledge that comes through the accurate study of the Word of God. Correct understanding of the all that God is. And it's not just all that Christ is, but it's, it's not just that. It's not just head knowledge, but it's experiential knowledge. It's the knowledge of Christ. That knowledge that we work to, that, that is a, comes from a working relationship with Christ. And it's the kind of knowledge that Paul prayed for the Ephesians back in chapter 1 verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of Him. And that comprehensive knowledge of Christ. So we, we are to unify around the Word of God and unify around our understanding of Christ and all that He is. But there's also another element here until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. To a mature man. The goal, the goal is not just head knowledge or even just that relationship with God, but maturity. It's maturity. We become a mature man. This has to do with age. <clears throat> we may say coming to age or coming of age. It's talking about fruit when it ripens, when it's just the right age of that fruit. We would obviously, he's talking about adulthood. There's an adult level here. Um, there's, a, there's a certain amount of, of wisdom that comes through just living life experience um, there's a stability there's a sensibility there's there's a an ability to take on more responsibility as you become an adult there's a maturity and this is he's talking about this in the spiritual realm and the the image of this the we need to have something in our minds and the stature belongs to Christ the thing that should have, be in our minds is Christ himself. He is the, the peak of spiritual maturity. At our peak of spiritual maturity, actually it should reflect Christ. When one is, re, uh, when one is spiritually fully grown, he begins to look like Christ. John said it this way, walk in a manner as he walked. Christ walked with complete fellowship and obedience to his heavenly Father. And that's what we want. You, you know, it's pretty interesting. When Christ, or I'm sorry, when Satan tempted Adam and Eve, he tempted them with this fact of, you'll be like God. You'll be like God. You just take this, and, and God knows it. If you, once you eat this, you'll be like God. 
But yet, uh, that's just ironic because that's not the way to become like, like God. We, it takes a transformation. It takes from uh, being transformed from the inside. Uh, we see that as the power, the work of the Holy Spirit. First, Second Corinthians chapter three, verse eighteen. And it's as we yield to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit works within us, then we are transformed. Now, the flesh doesn't go away easily. <clears throat> Old habits die hard. The mind is not easily renewed. I think we begin to know that. We begin to understand that the older we get in our faith. Discernment comes from... Uh, or discernment uh, doesn't happen just overnight. My children did not grow up in one or two years. As believers, we're not going to grow up in just a few years. Now... You will never grow, never grow spiritually without the consistent nourishment of the word. But also, Paul is, Paul is pointing out here to mature man the measure which the fullness of Christ. So it looks like Christ. But I want you to see this next slide. It takes all of us to accomplish this goal. The preacher just starts it out. He's trying to equip the saints. The saints then go about um, working with their giftedness within the body. And that then produces the goal of Christianity. Now, if your gift is not being functioned, is not functioning in the body, then the goal is not being realized. Now, look at the gifts. We have evangelism. We have pastor, teacher. We've mentioned those. But the gift of assistance or the gift of help or service, we might say. It, 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 it focuses on deeds. We need people like that in our lives to do things from the right perspective, to teach the rest of us how to, to have a, and live a life from God's perspective and do things from God's perspective. And we need administration. I could do a little bit of administration but boy, you can see when someone has the gift of administration, they come in and wow, they can function within the body of Christ. And we all learn, man, that's what it means to be organized or, or uh, what is the to, to lead or to direct. They do that in such a natural way. And it, and it builds up the whole body when that gift is functioning. Exhortation, giving. Showing mercy. We need those, all of those gifts within the body to produce the gold. You see? It's not just standing up here on Sunday morning and hearing one message or hearing a message once a week and then you go out and you're supposed to grow. Growth will never happen in isolation. We will never produce or we will never fulfill our goal in isolation. It will be the unifying effect of the Word of God and the maturing of the believers. And the more mature we become, the closer we are together and the closer we are to God and the more unified we are. That's the way things are to function. We cannot do things without the spiritual gifts working among the body. And then the question is, is, is your goal... Is your goal spiritual maturity? Do you see it 
as your own goal in your own life to develop spiritually? Or is it, boy, I just like to hear him speak. Or, man, he just has some interesting things. Or, boy, that's really curious. That's really interesting. The end times, man, that's great. I can get that at church. No, it's, it's more than that. We're here for, for more than that. Uh, the pastor can try to mature people, but it, it takes the submitting of the Word of God and it takes the, the work of the whole body to bring this about. So we see the function of the, the church and the goal of the church and what is the church to, to produce? What does it actually look like when a mature believer is, is there? And here's what a mature believer looks like. Verse 14. As a result... So we can see that pivot there. Paul tells us what's going to happen. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves of, of uh, by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful schemings. But speak the truth in love. We we are to grow up in all aspects in Him. Who is the head, even Christ? Now, there's a number of things here. Let me list those for you. Number one, we're to be no longer children, no longer childlike or no longer childish. Now, children are limited, aren't they? They're just small. Their limbs are not very strong. Um, it actually literally means those who don't talk, referring to little ones, to children, they're somewhat foolish. I remember when I was little, my uncle, my uncle could pull off his thumb. Now, I don't know how he did that. But as a child, that would just baffle me. Wow. He pulled off his, I was easily fooled, wasn't I? That's childish. And then the older I get, I think, oh, wow, that's, I fell for that. A child is simple-minded. We would actually use the term open-minded that could be filled with anything. Um, they are undiscerning and vulnerable. That's why the, that God has placed them within the family to work within the, for, so the protection of the parents would be there. In the physical realm, it's pretty sad when adults just don't grow up. When they don't take on the adult responsibilities, life is still fun. Um, unfortunately, it happens in the spiritual realm as well. And I'm amazed at how many Christians just take Christianity so flippantly. They never think about maturing and really taking on the responsibilities of training other people and using their gifts within the functioning body of the church. We're to no longer be children, Paul says. And Paul says, then we're no longer to be <clears throat> tossed, really unstable. That's what children are. They're kind of unstable. You ever see them walk? They're just kind of, they're learning that, those first steps. The image here really is that children at the beach is just the image that comes to my mind. And you've seen that. Uh, the, they'll be playing there and, and the, the wave will come up and just, boom, just take them away. They're there and then they're gone. That's, that's the idea here. They're, they're kind of tossed here and there, these, these waves. Actually, that happens to adults too, don't we? We go to the beach, we're sitting there, and these waves just come and, and takes us away. But their arms are not strong enough, and their legs are not strong enough to give them stability. 
So they're unstable. They don't have an anchor. They can't get their footing very easily. They're not strong enough. They're not big enough. They're not mature enough. They can't grab a hold. And what happens, actually, they just grab a hold of, in the spiritual realm, they just grab a hold of any philosophy that helps explain their world, and then they just move on. And the world has plenty of philosophy to go around. Satan has his lies. And it creates just instability. Unstable lives. Unfortunately, we have Christians with unstable lives. We are to no longer be deceived or carried about, it says, and blown by the wind. The idea here is someone else is in control. The wind is in control. Or somebody else in the spiritual realm is in control. Now, there might be nuggets of truth. Well, you see this in the religious realm all the time. It jumps, they jump from religious fad to religious fad, the novel interpretations of Scripture, or to, um, to various appeals from the, the world, public sentiment changes just like that. And he uses the term trickery of men and craftiness. The word trickery is... Uh, Cubia in the Greek, and it's the word that we get our word cube from. And it has the idea of dice playing. And dice playing so often is, is a, there's loaded dice, and that's the idea here. The dice has been manipulated, and it's, and it's designed to trick you. And the craftiness, deceitful schemings, this, this clever manipulation... It, it, it can make the error or it can make the truth or the error look like the truth. And it doesn't just happen. It's planned. It, it's, it's subtle, but it's systematic error. They're trying to teach you to think incorrectly. And you're just going right along. A believer is no longer to be that way. No longer is a strong term. It's to never do it again. To don't go down that road. That's the image. That's the idea. Now, those are things that the, the mature believer doesn't do. But what does the mature believer do? What does he look like? What is he, his actions? In verse 15, but speaks the truth in love. But speaking the truth in love. The answer for instability is the truth. The truth establishes... Um, that open mind, the truth can close that open mind. When you fill that mind with truth, the, the, the mind can, can snap and, and close when it's being deceived, when there's being trickery uh, going on. And this truth, uh, or this uh, speaking the truth, really is kind of a broad concept. It's not just speaking the truth to everyone else. It's speaking the truth to the outside world. It's talking about evangelism as well. It could encompass evangelism. The, the world needs to hear the truth. So the, the mature believer speaks the truth. Not just to the world and not just to the believers or other people, but to himself. You know, we carry a, on a conversation with our, ourselves constantly. How much of that conversation is just plain lies that we've bought into from the world or from Satan, or really from our own vain imaginations. We buy into these things, 
And we speak truth, or we speak lies to ourselves instead of truth. It is not to be that way with the believer. Now, notice it's not just just facts. When you take love out of the picture, that's all it is: cold, hard facts. But truth has to be marked by love. Uh, it is also uh, it's also a a constant practice. This is a constant thing. It's constantly speaking the truth in love to yourself, to others, to the world. Uh, it's, here's the idea. We are to become stable enough and understanding of the truth enough to be able to get our footing, to know what the truth is, and to be able to speak it in love to other people. That's a mature believer. That's what the church, this body right here, should be producing. That's, that's what we want. That's what we want here. There's a couple more. There's another element here. This, uh, it reflects Christ in everything. It speaks the truth in love, but it also reflects Christ in everything. Verse 15, we, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him. The truth isn't just a small little bit of truth, but it's a whole world view of truth, seeing things from God's perspective. Notice that, that Christ is the head. He is the head. The body is controlled by the head. The head is the, the control center for the body. And we just simply submit to that body, or I'm sorry, to that head. Paul said, uh, for me to live, well, that's just Christ. To die is gain, but for me to live is Christ. I just live, live solely for Him. I submit to His leadership. I'm just here for Him. I'm just part of His body. And He says, do this, I do this. And I, I go and I move and I do. I function the way He wants. Now the application. First of all, are you stable? Are you still being tripped up? Or do you have that stability in your life? Is there enough truth in your mind? Does your, your mind have enough answers to have the stability that it needs? Or, or are you just catching every new book that comes along and, and boy, you're just blown here and then you're blown there. And every fad that comes along, you just, you just suck up and you just, this is, this is what it is. And even within the Christianity today, there's so many fads that are just wrong that are unbiblical. And we move from issue to issue, to popular, from popular thought to popular thought, and that's where we live. That's not where the truth is. By way of application, we need to become stable. There's a fourth element here, the growth of the church, the growth of the church. In verse 16, We'll move through this quickly. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together. Now this is Christ. Remember the head? The whole body being fitted together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself. Paul gets to the point. Right there. That's it. It takes all of us. It takes all of us. The growth of the church there's a, there's a few elements in here. First of all, it's from Christ. Remember, Christ is the head. That's the controlling, uh, presiding 
head over the church. And it's the source of life and it's the source of power, Christ is. And he, he fits the body together. And that's talking about a close, tight, compact correlation of function. That's a strange way to put it. But when we come together, we're functioning together. But it, it can't be done in isolation. It has to be done together. Those, those gifts that we mentioned before, they have to be done with the body and coming together. It's like an, organization, an organism. An organism grows from within, doesn't it? And it, and it, uh, it grows uh, from closeness in proximity. But notice also Christ is holding the body together. It fits the body together, but he also holds the body. He unifies the body. He fits everything together to a point, and then he holds it there. There's a stability that comes from that. Number two is through the spiritual giftedness. Look at verse 16. Fitting, fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. That joint supplies, that's that connection. That's talking about that, that coming together with spiritual giftedness, empowered by the, by the Holy Spirit, that coming together, that functioning together, that every joint supplies, that every Everyone, every member has it, brings it together according to the proper working of each individual part. That is so crucial for us to understand. That's so important. Um, it, like I said, it's, a, it's an organism. It grows from within. Oh, let me go back to this. This is... Uh, This point of contact is this joining together. It's where the Holy Spirit comes and it's the the functioning. When the gifts are functioning together, there's growth that causes growth within the church. We begin to build each other up. We begin to minister to one another. We begin to understand what mercy is and grace is when we interact with one another. And then, so it's, it's through spiritual gifts. It's also through individual believers each individual has a part. Notice that. It's a simple process, but it's important. The power in the church flows from the Lord through individual believers and the relationship between believers. The power is right there. When we begin to minister to one another, the power of God can be seen. So it's on an individual level. And then let me point out this the fourth one, it's, it actually moves from individual to the corporate. It actually, as we build up one another individually, the body is built up, just like an organism. It's growth from within, like I, like I said earlier. We do not want just to add to this church. That doesn't help unless you have this organism ministering to one another. When, when believer, or when people come into the church and we incorporate them into the body and they begin to minister their gifts, we are ministering our gifts and we're growing all together and the body just continues to multiply and expand. It's not just an addition. Folks, these things are so important. One last element though. It's, it's through love. It's, it's through love and this just talks about the, the commitment the commitment that we have. Love doesn't just walk away. 
it, it realizes the importance of each individual part. And if I'm not here, who's going to function? Who's going to help the, the church to function and do its part? <clears throat> Paul said it like this. Paul reminded us this in 1 Corinthians 13. Love doesn't abandon. It, it remains. It stays there. Paul reminds us about love. He says, love rejoices in the truth. Understand how that fits in. But love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. When you have that loving element there, all of these things begin to work together and we can produce stable people within this church. And it cannot be done by one man or two men or maybe three men. It takes the whole body working together. That's a proper view of the church. Now, it may not be it may not be what you think of the church, but that is clearly what Paul is talking about here. So we talk we saw we've seen the, the function of the church, the goal of the church, the product of the church, and the growth of the church. Christ has designed his church to grow through the teaching of the word and the exercise of each individual spiritual gift. And folks, it takes, it takes that. It takes us working together, coming together. It cannot be done in isolation. It cannot be done if we just are making, well, I've got my disciples over here, and I'm making disciples over here, and I've got these disciples over here. No. No, the disciples, Christ said to go and make disciples, we come together as a church and do that within the church, within the body. There's disciples have to grow up within a family, just like our children have to grow up within a family. And this is the kind of family that they need to grow up in. So then by way of application, we'll stop. We must get involved in each other's lives. We will never grow in isolation. And the question that we have to ask, are you using your God-given giftedness for the function of the church Or are you using it in isolation? Just in conclusion, when the world sees the church speaking the same message, living the appropriate life that the Christians should live, and doing the functioning of the gifts in love, boy, the world will see a vibrant, growing, healthy church. And the world will take notice. The world will take notice. And the Lord can use Daniel's Bible church. Let's pray. Father, these are weighty things. Um, heavy things, Lord. These are serious things because you're, you take your church seriously. The growth of your church. The way your church is to function. The way your church is to, to operate. Lord, we cannot just take the idea of a church and come up with our own church. We must find out what you say and how your church is to function. And we fit your biblical model. Lord, help us to do that in our own minds, but then corporately as well. When we come together, I pray that there would be truly be be ministering going on. Our fellowship would be among your word and our fellowship would be uh, sweet because it includes you and your grace in our life and our testimonies, what you have done. 
Lord, may we build one another up how important it is to be together. I thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.